Hamburg are the vegans of the Bundesliga. Hello and welcome to the Wolf Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. It's a big week in football. Gabby Hayes big, Monster Trucks big, Wild Turkey and Shit Town big. So we're excited about that. Almost as excited as we are for a certain stag party in Amsterdam this weekend. At least I think it's excitement I'm feeling. Anyway, here to talk about all of that and more is Andre Gonzalez. Hello. Lewis Ambrose. Hi. Both from the One Football Newsroom and semi-pod regular these days. Deutsche Welle's Ali Moody. Hello. It's so often we have you here. It is, yeah. It should be on commission. So often a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Way more pleasure than I feel like I'm going to enjoy this weekend. I don't know what I was thinking, agreeing to Amsterdam. Was it your idea? Uh, It was sort of my idea, the location. Uh, So when you say you don't know what you're thinking, agreeing (laughs) to it, you really mean... Suggesting it. Exactly. Suggesting it, right. That is true. Secretly, you're you're really up for this, aren't you? you, you, You're just trying to hide it. (laughs) Amsterdam works, works a bit like Las Vegas of Europe. If you think about it. So what stays in, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Amsterdam? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It might be your last podcast as host. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that I want to, we should probably give our, our listeners a bit of a, a preview, but in a couple of weeks, I shall be taking a bit of holiday, a bit of well-earned rest. And Andre Gonzalez there is going to be stepping into the big chair. Yeah. And you can see the excitement written across <laughs> can his face. I, can, I cannot wait. Honestly, can't wait. I'm really excited. Yeah. Uh, one last thing about this upcoming stag party, and maybe we could have a chat about it again next week. One of my friends has threatened to dress me up in a penis costume. Oh, nice. Mm. Again, is this something that you've actually thought about yourself? Yeah. Well, my yeah. friends. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, but that, that would be pretty awful. Although I have a feeling a Newcastle player dressed up in a penis costume for a stag party in Dublin one time. I don't want to say names in case I get it wrong, but I have a feeling somebody did it. Anyway, that's that's talk for another time. Let's kick off today's proceedings with the action here in Germany. Tuesday night saw Bayern Munich take on Hoffenheim and Dortmund come up against Hamburg. Oli, you watched the Bayern game, did you not? I did. And were you as shocked as the rest of the world at Bayern's defeat? No. Oh. Um, I was a bit surprised because it was Bayern's first defeat, I think, in 20 games and uh, the first time in their history that they've lost to Hoffenheim. Yes. So a bit of a surprise on that front. But I think there were signs of this ahead of the game. I know for uh, DW's preview, uh, my colleague Ross Dunbar predicted a Hoffenheim win. So Shout out, Ross. Yeah, there you go. Um, the signs were there because, firstly, Hoffenheim have been absolutely brilliant this season. Julian Nagelsmann has turned them from a team that was absolutely certain to get relegated to a team that has all but confirmed Champions League qualification for next season. I think they're still above Dortmund at the moment, yes, they are. which is a pretty incredible achievement for that squad. Um, and he's done it by turning more or less the same players, with a couple of additions like Sandra Wagner, um, into just players who are putting out the best form of their careers. You look at the goal scorer last night, Andrei Kramaric. He looked like a complete misfit at Leicester, and yet he's been playing brilliant football this year for Hoffenheim. Um, but I think it's also to do with Bayern. Bayern have kind of used this period as like the, the spell where they're happy to say, OK, we'll drop some points here if necessary. We'll rest our players here. Uh, we'll give Manuel Neuer the operation that he needs now rather than risking him getting injured for the games coming up, which are a couple of games against Dortmund in the League and Cup and, uh, of course, the two Champions League games against Real Madrid. Um, the result of that last night was that their first eleven didn't contain... Lam didn't contain Neuer, 
didn't contain Boateng, didn't contain Thiago. I think most importantly, who uh, for me has been one of the best players in the world over the last six months or this season generally. But of course, the goal as well. Sven Ulreich is a good keeper, but he hasn't played really since joining Bayern and he got a hand to it and didn't keep it out. And you can't help but think, would Neuer have saved that? Neuer would definitely have saved it. I think so. Yeah. I watched it. I don't know if anybody else, but I watched it a couple of times on repeat this morning. I feel like his positioning was slightly off, and that forced him to use his left hand, which was unnatural and had to kind of come across rather than his right hand. I mean, it was a good strike, but I feel like a better keeper would have saved it. Yeah, I think so too. Like you said, the, the left hand going up did look sort of unnatural. It didn't look like the optimal way of trying to save that shot. But give credit to Kramaric, he absolutely smashed it from outside the box. Perhaps Ulreich wasn't expecting it, wasn't set properly. Um, and yeah, you know, Hoffenheim, they got a bit of luck. Uh, Lewandowski hit the bar and uh, Bauman made, Oliver Bauman, the, the Hoffenheim keeper, made a couple of really good saves as well. But you need a bit of luck to beat Bayern and they thoroughly deserved it last night and they've thoroughly deserved it this season. Did Hoffenheim have a set out a plan for other teams about how to attack Bayern then? The way that the, the kind of high octane pressing from the, from the very start? Yeah, I think... Um, I think it's a plan that other teams have tried at times against Bayern, but I think more than anything with Hoffenheim, it's the belief that they've got that they can go out there and go toe-to-toe with the big teams. Um, they're not scared of anyone, and that's Nagelsmann's motivation and the way he communicates with his players, the way he gets them fired up, um, but also the way he organises the team. You know, it's not, He's not just a motivator, he's not just a, a shouter. He it, Tactically, he's very astute, especially for someone of his age. Um, he's got them... Uh, very well organised, very well set up and um, believing that they can do a job against anyone. Lewis, anything to add about Bayern Hoffenheim? Um, yeah, I think it was maybe an odd time to rest Thiago and Lahm in a game against Hoffenheim away from home. I guess it shows the disdain Ancelotti maybe has for some fixtures coming up in the league where they already have a really clear advantage over Leipzig, Hoffenheim, Dortmund. I think, though, maybe he could have rested them against Augsburg at the weekend, um, who they smashed at home. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe he thought it was better to break it up with the midweek game. Uh, It is a way to beat Bayern, to press them high. A lot of teams gave them trouble in the first half of the season when Ancelotti had just come in. Even the likes of Ingolstadt playing away from home gave Bayern a really, really tough game by pressing high. As long as you're organised, it's something they're susceptible to, but even more so without Thiago in the team, who, like Oli said, has probably been one of the best players in the world. I'd say undoubtedly the best player in the Bundesliga this season. So, yeah, I think largely it's because of the team Bayern put out, but we have to give massive credit to Hoffenheim, who we've already spoken about this season. Mm -hmm. That's another thing, whether or not teams can replicate this plan, whether or not they can actually put it into place. Yeah, it's easy to say you can beat Bayern by doing that, but how many other teams can actually go out and do it? For 90 minutes. For 90 minutes. I mean, Hoffenheim didn't look so strong after the goal, but when the goal went in yesterday, it was more than deserved. They had three or four Mm -hmm. half chances before they actually took the lead. And as Ali said, they really had to ride their luck a few times. You would have expected Lewandowski on on another day to put away a couple of those chances. Yeah, weird off night for Lewandowski. Um, He completely mishit the chance that came off the bar. Um, and again, Bauman did make a couple of really good saves, but Bauman's a good keeper as well. He I does, thought he was excellent last night. Yeah, he does yeah. drop a clanger now and then, but I think he's been much more consistent this season. Um, and so again, if you've got the good, if you've got good players, then you're more likely to get that luck with the good saves and so on. Quick question, Re Hoffenheim: uh, Are we seeing the emergence of a side that can eventually challenge for the title? 
Or are they always going to be, are they, are they always going to be one of those clubs that have their best players cherry picked? They are, aren't they? I can see it in your face. Yeah, I, I mean, not asked. so much for it's financial, for me. not so much for financial reasons like a lot of other clubs, but just because um, traditionally, historically, they're not a big club. Uh, they're in a, a very small town in Germany in Zinsheim. And um, it's not very glamorous. No, they're not a name that is going to keep no. players there or, or attract players in. Um, as long as they can keep hold of Nagelsmann, though, I think they've got a good chance of of keeping the players that they've got there and, and attracting. I mean, they bought Sandra Wagner for big money last summer and he scored a decent number of goals from them this season. They can certainly get a couple more players of that calibre in, in the summer and then they can hopefully push on. Whether they can actually challenge Bayern with that and, of course, Leipzig as well, who are almost certainly going to go out and spend big again, is another matter. And I don't know really how long they're going to keep hold of Nagelsmann for. They're already losing two key players this summer. Yeah. Sebastian Rudi and Nicolas Zula have already agreed the transfers to Bayern Munich. Maybe they'll manage to keep on hold of the rest for the rest of the season and for next season. But beyond that, the likes of Demir by Amiri, they're already being linked with much bigger. I saw Amiri link with Real Madrid this week. What? Yeah. These players are too good to play for a team that isn't likely to ever really challenge for big honours. Okay. Just a quick note on Amiri. His development over the last year has been stunning. Yeah. He has really thrived under Nagelsmann. Fantastic young player there. Maybe a bit early for Real Madrid, though. Maybe a bit early, <laughs> but, but he's certainly a player with massive potential. Okay. you, uh, Lewis, you watched the uh, Dortmund win over Hamburg. Did you know Dortmund versus Hamburg has now delivered 358 goals? It's the Bundesliga's top-scoring game. I didn't. Oh, there no. you go. I mean, Stat. I guess it makes sense that Hamburg have obviously played every Bundesliga season as they will not stop reminding everyone all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and Dortmund are a mainstay in the top flight. So it, I guess it makes sense. It's a bit like a friend who, has, who does a marathon. You know? <laughs> yeah. They always want to tell you they've done a marathon. Or vegans. Yeah, vegans. Yeah. Hamburg are the vegans of the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they just won't go away either. I, but going into last night's game, Hamburg started the season, like they've started every season for the past four years or so, looked absolutely certain they were going down. Going into last night's game, the last 15 games, they were third if you if you just cut off the beginning of the season, they mm-hmm. were third in the table. They had more points than Dortmund. Only I think Hoffenheim and Bayern with more points. Um, so going on form, it wasn't probably so certain Dortmund would win last night as everyone thought. <coughs> um, They've struggled against Hamburg in recent years as well. Yeah, I think Klopp had a big big issue against Hamburg. Tuchel lost away from home last year, but he's now won three in a row against Hamburg. So the club might feel that they're over the bump now. I guess a lot of the players from the Klopp era have left. Klopp himself isn't there. And that sort of bogey team mantra may have been lost by Hamburg last night in a game which, honestly, they probably could have won again. It was really weird. You should say it's the most goals in Bundesliga history this fixture. There could have been another six or seven on top of the three that there were last night. Dortmund had three or four really great chances. They didn't take 1-0. Hamburg, after the opening goal, had a few really good opportunities to equalise. It was a really weird evening. Dortmund always, well, throughout this season at least, look much, much shakier when Socrates isn't available and he wasn't there last night. Ginter and Bartra, especially as a back two, instead of having a third centre-back next to them, looks like a partnership that's always going to slip up at some point. Mm-hmm. And they did a couple of times last night, but got away with it. Roman Berkeley and Rene Adler were both really great form. Feigl looked good. 
Julian Weigl is probably his best game in a while, and mm. I don't think it's a coincidence that it was with four defenders and three centre midfielders at Dortmund. Just give him the freedom to roam. Yeah, I think the last couple of months Dortmund have been playing, you'd compare it maybe to like how Chelsea have been playing in the Premier League with three at the back and two really wide offensive mm-hmm. wing-backs. And it means Weigl has a partner next to him all the time um, and three centre-backs behind him playing the ball out as opposed to the situation he was in last season when he was so good, when he had two centre-backs he could drop between them and it was sort of his role to marshal holding midfield on his own. But that comes with its own problems. It was his best game on the ball for quite a while, but every time Hamburg broke, Castro and Kagawa were too far forward and Weigl had way too much space to try and manage all alone. It's probably part of the reason Dortmund looks so open. I think if they play like that in the Champions League, they're screwed. Uh, we've seen Monaco. I think mm. they've still scored the most goals in Europe this season in all competitions. We saw how they played against Manchester City. They will find those spaces around Weigl at the base of midfield. And I think Dortmund will return when Socrates can play again to three centre-backs. So we might not see this form from Weigl again, maybe for the rest of the season. What a shame. Yeah, it is. But to make up for that, we do have Der Klassiker this weekend. Yeah. What a terror. We did talk about this before, maybe the last time we talked about Der Klassiker, but it's such an awful title. Dreadful, isn't it? It's not even, it's not even Der Klassiker in Germany. Like Schalke Dortmund is bigger for both Historically, yeah. It's not a Barcelona Real Madrid situation at all. Now, before the defeat to Hoffenheim, because I compiled my stats before the defeat of Hoffenheim, so I'm going to give you them anyway. Uh, Bayern had not tasted defeat since November. They had the best attack in the league. That remains the same. Best defence in the league. That remains the same. The best home record in the league. Uh, they'd won their last five games, again, before Hoffenheim, by an aggregate score of 21-0. All signs point to Dortmund getting a bit of a spanking here. And that, that was that was before Hoffenheim. That was before Hoffenheim, yeah. Yeah. Do we think anything has changed? Well, not necessarily because, as we were saying before about uh, Bayern for the Hoffenheim game, they dropped a few players, rested a few players. A couple of those will be back, certainly, for the Dortmund game. Um, I'm not sure necessarily that this fixture has the importance to Bayern right now that it's had in the past. Certainly last season when um, Dortmund were uh, a much better team in much better form. Um, They were, I think, the best Runners up of all time in the Bundesliga. If that's a dubious honour, <laughs> <What a title laughs> um, yeah, you know the highest points total any second place team had ever had. The, um, the sort of Ralph Wiggum Award, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it was Dortmund's third best Bundesliga season of all time. Uh huh. It's crazy. Oh god. Okay. Can we continue on? Yeah. Um, so for Bayern again, this is one of those things that they just have to get through, and I think they'll be um, perfectly happy with a draw. If uh, if that's the the outcome for Dortmund, it's more important. Personally, from a point of view of pride, um, you know they've, they've not had the season that they wanted, um, but also because they're down in fourth place at the moment. And if they don't want to play a qualifier for the Champions League this summer, they have to knock some points together and uh, overtake Hoffenheim. Um, so I, <laughs> the the Klassiker is a name that often seems more about hype than uh, actual competitive rivalry. And I think this match is is possibly the worst that we've had for that in recent seasons. Lewis, can you offer Dortmund fans any hope at all? Absolutely. I think Bayern... Oh, I, I thought you were just going to say no there and we were going to crack on. I, I do think Bayern might have an eye on the Real Madrid game um, coming up in midweek. And then from there, I, 
I think Dortmund, they had the measure of Bayern earlier in the season when Thiago and Lahm were playing. There was, I think in November, that was the last defeat that Bayern suffered before last night. Um, yeah, and this game simply does mean... You're right, it was. Yeah, the, the, the game simply does mean more to, to Dortmund, I would say. I think it's a precursor for the DFB Pokal semi-final, which is realistically Dortmund's last chance of winning a trophy this season. They won at the Allianz, I think, last year or the year before. No, they got smashed last year. They won in the, the cup semi-final the year before. It was on penalties, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I think they could do pretty much what Hoffenheim did, albeit with Thiago in the side, making a much trickier proposition. Okay. Quick prediction, Ali? Uh, one all. Yeah, the same. Sitting quietly in the corner is Andre. I am. And awaiting to speak about the big game on Wednesday night, the real big game on Wednesday night, which is Barcelona-Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about that first or do we want to talk about Monchi? Um, I, I always love to talk about Monchi. But okay, we, let's start we, with Monchi then. We can start with um, with uh, the fact that Sevilla are about to, to lose, um, I would say, part of uh, their identity. We're talking about a man that has been in, with the team for... 26 years mm-hmm. and uh, as a sporting director for 17 years um, he's an ex-goalkeeper yeah he is he was a, a fairly average goalkeeper yeah um, it was never first choice he played for the B team a lot of times um, he experienced some embarrassing moments in uh, in uh, in the goalkeeping uh, once he was uh, Sevilla was knocked out by the, the cup on the cup by uh, Isla Cristina, a team that at the time wasn't in the third division and they lost 1-0. And uh, Monchi uh, had some troubles to get out of the stadium because the, all the, um, the fans were pretty pissed about it. Yeah. Uh, Didn't he have to hide in like the back of a truck or something? Yeah, yeah. Like the kitman uh, yeah. was the smuggling out <laughs> of the stadium. So it was... Uh, pretty much amazing the kind of things that you expect from uh, a film uh, but I, I'm really concerned about the post Monchi uh, I know I, I really don't know what's going to happen with, with Sevilla well, first of all before we get to that why is he leaving? he's leaving because he's tired uh, he, he told to his son that he has been around for too long and um, we can understand come on he, he, he has been the sporting director of uh, such a a intense club like like Sevilla for 17 years he, he he took the club from the second division to nine i think nine nine mm-hmm. trophies yeah. in 16 finals this is absolutely outstanding and uh he's been dealing with a lot of bullshit lately cuz you know football right. <laughs> and he said that he needs he needs to move on he needs some time to to take some rest and, and then move on. He's he, not just sporting director, he's been doing other stuff like travel arrangements and everything. Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. He's basically, he is severe. I would say that he, he, he was playing the role of a sporting director, something that the sporting director would do in the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now see the sporting director uh, on a different role, but he is still one of the old old guys. Right. Um, so what's going to happen to Sevilla then? That's 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 a good question. Um some some people say that uh, 
they're going to be pretty much the same because uh, the, there's a, a man called Oscar Arias, which is basically the number two, and he might take over, and, and uh, Monchi trusts trust him. So it might be um, a very, um, I would say, uh, I forgot the term, when you uh, just, when you're the king and you're uh, just giving up on the abdication, abdication, mm -hmm. exactly. It might be a very simple abdication, or or it might be it might be very complicated one. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the, some rumors that uh, Andres Palop might take over. Oh yeah, and uh, Monchi is a big, big fan of Andres Palop. Another he former keeper. Yeah, he once said that Palop is uh, was one of the uh, most uh, intelligent people he met. So I would say that if Monchi needs to um, make some, uh, I would say, some recommendation, probably Palop would be at the top. So that said, it's going to be a very interesting season <laughs> next year because yeah. uh, San Paoli said that uh, um, without Monchi, the reasonable thing to do would be moving on. Wow. But and where would he move to? But uh, the, the 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 chairman uh, Del Nido said that is not interested in that. That yes, he has two years of contract and uh, they want it. They want to keep him. And where where can can you see San Paoli moving on to to Barca? Honestly, can you see that? Can you see it happening? I don't see why not. The prospect of managing. Arguably the biggest club in the world. I don't. I'm, I'm yeah, looking I think after it, looking I, after I'm, somebody like Leo Messi. I'm talking Neymar about the from, from the other side. Why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the the profile. I don't. I don't think his profile uh, fits Barca. Yeah. I. Well, why not? I mean, Luis Enrique is not a former Barcelona. A former player. Barcelona. I think. I think part of the the last year or so. As Luis Enrique's Barcelona have lost a bit of that classic Barcelona mentality and yeah. identity, the pos sure. possession football and dominating midfield. It's it's been about quickly get it to the front three and let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Barcelona will be eager to wrestle back some some identity with the Eusebio or something. Like a, a more uh, understated choice, but Eusebio is, is not going because he has a lot of problems with the current uh, Barcelona board. So but something like that. It's not happening. Like an, but an ex player. I, I can I like can that. see a Villanova move, something like they did with Tito, uh, with Unzue yeah. taking over. I think it, it makes all the sense. It's where still, yeah, Valverde would be the best choice for them. That's that's another thing. One last thing about Monchi, he's going to Roma. All signs point to Rome. Yeah, they say All so. All roads lead to Rome. Yeah, the yeah. word on the streets say so. Okay. Did you know he was a former teammate of Maradona's? He was, yes. yeah. And, because, and, and Simeone also. And they Simeone, all played together. Yeah. And Maradona was obviously huge and couldn't go out for walks in Sevilla during the afternoon because he'd just get mobbed. I thought you meant everybody. he was physically huge. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, so he'd go out and he'd get mobbed. So what he had to do was he had to go out early in the morning uh, for walks. And Munchie was, you know, a bad sleeper. So he'd obviously, he'd go for walks with Maradona in the morning. And one morning they were out walking and Maradona had a look at his, at Munchie's watch. And he's like, oh, that's a nice watch you got on there, Munchie. And Munchie's like, ah, look, this is a, little, a five euro fake Rolex that I picked up at a market somewhere. And then a couple of days later, 
Maradona sent him the proper Rolex. Lovely. Nice dude, Maradona. The game tonight, Ray. The game Bar- tonight is Barcelona, gonna- Sevilla. Sevilla are really have Sevilla really gone down and are, are, are taking on Barca on the worst possible moment. They've been uh, underperforming for uh, six matches in a since row that, since that Leicester game. Right? Yeah, they they lo- they. I think they lost three and five. Um, and the last match I saw, it was really depressing against uh, uh, Sporting Rijon. Mm-hmm. It was a very depressing um, atmosphere in the stadium. I think people feel that Monchi is going and uh, the players are a bit depressed about that. Also, all this talk about Sampaoli leaving is is not helping. It's not helping at all. Um, so is it, is it off-field chaos that's causing it or is it just that Sampaoli runs his players into the ground and now they're all knackered and they can't finish the season? No, I don't think so. Um I, I, I really, I was watching the match, and in some moments, it, it felt like uh, some of the players lost the the, the their joy mm-hmm. of playing. Uh, there were some moments of the um, really unfocused. It was weird. It was really weird. The the atmosphere. Uh, also, Sevilla um, uh, had two clear chances, and in a normal match, they would score. They didn't, and after that, the, the Sporting behaved way better and they could have scored so it was a really weird match it's like the whole club has been shook by the, uh, yeah by yeah the the, it, it, looked, it looked like uh it looked like that yeah um as for this weekend there's a spicy meatball of a fixture taking place in the capital with atleti taking on real in the that's Man- a big one I, I would, uh, that's more of a dare classicer anyway but, uh, <laughs> no that's that's a big derby that that is a really big derby yeah um me and you want to talk about felipe luis and coque and Atletico's left-hand side because it's a joy to watch these days. It is. And uh, I have to say that Felipe Luis has been the, the best left-back in Europe. I'm, I'm going to say it. We don't have a lot to, to choose from, to be honest. I, I think there's a, a bit of a crisis when it comes to full-backs in general and uh, left-backs in particular. But Felipe uh, Luis, he is so complete. He has been doing an incredible season. And... Uh, you is one of those players that you can always rely on, always. And uh, what, what can I say about Koke? Is 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 in another level. It, it seems that the move to out on the left has freedom from any sort of defensive, or, well, a lot of defensive responsibilities in the middle. It still, it still works a lot. It still he, defends he's still, a lot. But now he's he can be a bit more attack minded. I mean, you'll imagine he'll eventually end up back in the middle. But for now, it's looking like a good move having him and him and uh, Felipe Luis on the left. He's very clever. Uh, tactically, is is mastermind. So I think that Koke is one of those players that you can you can put it whatever you want in the middle. He's always going to be doing whatever he's supposed to, always. We saw Coco playing in the middle a few years ago, and then, uh, sorry, on the left a few years ago, yeah. and then the sort of Thiago's injuries, and he moved mm-hmm. into the middle. But I actually think it suits his game more to be on on the periphery of the play instead of he receives the first pass from the defense, and he's the one that has to force a turnover in the middle. Whereas you know, Gabby or Saul can do a bit more of the gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that Koke can't do it, but then it just sort of frees him up to play a bit more of his game yep. without having to completely dictate the terms of the game. Um, back to uh, Philippe Louis, a very interesting uh, stat. Oh, yeah. Is the the fifth best tackler in the, in the league. 
Oh yeah. Uh, How and he's a left back, so number you sh- of tackles. Yeah. Is, okay. Number Successful of tackles per match. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is the second best crosser in the league, and the first one is Marcel, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. And is uh, is the, the the defender with the most key passes per match, uh, with an average of one point four key passes. That's amazing. That is amazing. Is. And also, even in defense, I noticed that he's set to mark quite a lot of the larger players because he's league. a good header. Because yeah. he's a great header of yeah. the ball too. So he's he's worked. He's obviously Simeone has worked on that with him as well. Has really improved. Um, how do you see the game panning out? If if Madrid win this, yeah, I think they they got the league. Oh yeah, yeah, I think they got the league. Wow. If if you if you look at all the fixtures uh, from now until the end of the season, there's still a Clasico to come. Uh, uh, in, Madrid. In, in Madrid, in Madrid, yeah, so. All right. So uh, uh, Madrid, I think they have. Uh, um, the easier th- fixtures uh, until the until the end of the season, and they've they've been playing a very practical football. We've talked about that. We before. talked about we that talked many about times. That before, yeah. So um, I, I don't expect any fireworks from this match. To be honest, I think it's going to be very tactical. It's going to be uh, very very tight for most of the of the game. Um, and uh, if Madrid win this one, I think I think the league is done. That's it. Yeah, it's over. Okay, speaking of leagues that are done, okay, <laughs> Premier League uh, tonight sees Chelsea welcome Manchester City to Stamford Bridge, and you're looking somewhat excited about it, Lewis. Yeah, or is it over? Uh, well, it is. Um, <laughs> but Sam Allardyce was great at the weekend. I don't know if you saw the clip of him at the start of his press conference after the no. game on Saturday. No, he what just, did he do? He just sat down in. Someone offered him a bottle of water and all of the press are taking their seats and he just looks up and he's a very gruff, lank accent. He just said, well, you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> <laughs> um, in, a, in a way that only Sam Allardyce could deliver that. Um, no, we weren't expecting that. Uh, I, I doubt he was either. Palace got pretty lucky at the weekend. They went behind and they scored two goals. Benteke took his goal really, really well. Um, yeah, and then from there, Chelsea absolutely battered them. And on any other day, you watch the game and it's, you know, you see a top side against a team in the bottom half of the table and mm-hmm. you're just watching it going, well, this is 3-2. They're going to score soon. But they didn't. Any other day they would have. But it's left the title race possibly in existence. I mean, Spurs are seven points behind Chelsea before Wednesday night. They play Swansea away. They've got You'd the worst... you to win that. They've got the worst away record of the top six. Um, they're, they're, they've been absolutely brilliant at White Hart Lane this season, but away from home, they struggle to sort of get going, really. But, yeah, you would still expect them to beat Swansea. Um, Chelsea host Manchester City, which is a much... Much trickier proposition. Let me tell you this. Antonio Conte hasn't lost consecutive home games as a manager since November 2009 when he was in charge of Atalanta. Yeah, that's insane. Isn't that insane? November at Atalanta as well, which means he went through to May without doing it Yes, before he left. Yeah, that's, um, that's fantastic. But he probably hasn't lost a game and then faced Pep Guardiola and a 
team as talently stocked as Manchester City in mm-hmm. the following game. Yeah. Um, it, the first game was probably the game of the season in the Premier League. It was... Oh, they're 3-1? Yeah, it was... Yeah. The the pace of it was just furious. The, the way the team set up, they were constantly changing formation. Mm-hmm. The fluidity is... Lots this, of niggly tackles as well too, which yeah, was quite nice. It was, it was like watching a top European game. Like This is why Conte and Guardiola have been brought into the Premier League to bring this level of football to English football. So if we see anything like that, we're in for a treat again. Guardiola, that game, he pretty much got everything right. I think Chelsea were still on a winning streak with that 3-4-3 after it had been implemented. Man City took the lead and then Kevin De Bruyne missed from about a yard. He he hit the bar and it it would have been 2-0. And I think within a few minutes, Chelsea equalised with their first shot on target. It's like an hour into the game. How did he miss that? It would change completely the game. It changed the season. Chelsea were absolutely dominant with this 3-4-3 before and after that game. And they went down the other end. I think Diego Costa scored with the first shot on target of the game. Willian and Hazard scored as well. It completely changed the season. City would have been a few more points clear of Chelsea. They were already above them, I think, at that stage. They'd have beaten Chelsea. It would have been a massive landmark. And um, Chelsea's run would have stopped before it. Like It was about halfway through that mm. um, record-equaling winning run they went on. So now we come to this fixture, this time around, with about a month of the season to play, and Chelsea are probably going to win the league. City are 11 points behind. I think this game would have been much more interesting had City won at the Emirates on Sunday afternoon. They took the lead twice and drew. It would have been nine points, then six if they won at Stamford Bridge tonight. Um, But looking at Chelsea's fixture list, I just don't see Tottenham catching them. They've got, after this evening, they have to play at Goodison Park. Um... And they have to play West Brom away, but that's kind of it. That's everyone else is below seventh, uh, below eighth place that they have to the face before between. Oh, I think Old Trafford as well. Yeah, that doesn't but, it, but that's a guaranteed point. <laughs> one one. <laughs> yeah, calling it already. Um, but yeah, Old Trafford, Goodison Park, and the Hawthorns. I, I don't think any of us see Chelsea losing all of those games. No. and they'd probably have to lose all those games for Tottenham to win the league. Do you see them losing tonight? I see them losing tonight. I think Man City will be kind of buoyed by the performance on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. They were they were probably the better side against Arsenal. Um, but that's an Arsenal side that's in a it was state a, of pretty much civil war. It was war a really at the really odd match. Like it was wide open for fifty minutes. And then both teams decided that they were way too wide open and nobody wanted to win. So you're going with Man City? I think Man City will turn up and do something tonight. I think they'll win. Trey? I think also. Uh, I think it's going to be a narrow win, just 1-0 one, one or 2-1. Okay. Well, going the other way, I think Chelsea will win at 1-0. I'm going to go with Oli. I can't see Chelsea losing. And I can't see Chelsea losing the league at all. Anyway. That's all we have time for today. My thanks to Andre, Ali, Lewis and our producer, Damien, whose birthday it is. Yeah. Happy birthday, Damo. (laughs) And he's wearing a special suit for it too. Fresh up. As ever, wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store. Please give us a rating and please leave us a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast. Thanks for that and thanks for listening.